0: you to think back to a time when you were really happy. I mean, think back to to a season, an occasion where you were just overflowing with joy. Now, think back to maybe an era in your life where you're experiencing significant spiritual growth or, or change, maybe healing. Now, I also want you to think about Another time in your life, maybe a season where it was really hard. And I'm talking one of those painful seasons where you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet you persevered, where you got through that. Maybe even you were able to thrive in the middle of that that wilderness. Now, in these highs and lows and, and times of growth, you know, there's actually and that's in common. So think for a second. What is in common with all of these three different scenarios or seasons in your life? Someone was there. You were not alone. The reason why that event was so joyous is because you were sharing it with someone. You weren't by yourself. And, and the reason why you were able to have that season of healing or growth or finding freedom is because you had other people in your life that were encouraging you and praying for you, and you weren't alone, you, you weren't isolated in that, in that growth season. And when you think about that hard time, I can guarantee you that someone was there that helped you to get through it. Because if you didn't have anyone to help you get through it, you probably would not have thrived or been able to even get through it. So you see, a lot of our highs and our lows, all of them have this reality of we're not alone. God provides people in our lives. Now, I know that we live in an age where independence is a value. I know those who are in high school can't wait to finally graduate and be independent from their their parents' authority, but I have some news for you. Um, They're still paying for college for you. And even after you get out of college, you're still going to have authority over you. You will always have authority. None of us are ever truly independent. It's just not possible. God has designed all of us to be dependent. And I'll give you just one really simple illustration. When you go home and you flip that light switch on, you are depending on someone else to do their job to ensure that when you just flip that light switch, the light's actually come on. And when you turn on that faucet and you expect to have clean water that runs out of the Of the spigot? Well, let me tell you something. You are depending on someone else to do their job to ensure that you actually have clean water. You are dependent on other people to do what they're supposed to do. None of us live completely isolated, independent lives. Unless you go live by yourself on a deserted island and it's just you, well then fine, then that's just you. But outside of that, in a normal human existence, none of us are independent. All of us have to depend on, first of all, God, but then each other. We need each other. And all of us tend to, for better or worse, want to define ourselves, our identity, on our self-sufficiency or our independence. But the reality is that when we try to do that, we fall on our faces. And we just we can't. It's not Possible. None of us are autonomous. It's a facade that all of us try to put up. The I've got it all together facade. The I'm a super mom facade. The I don't have any problems facade. The I've got this. It's, it's fake. And the truth is that we don't even believe ourselves the image that we try to project on other people. But we all tend to do it. And to define ourselves and wanting to be autonomous or independent or self-sufficient. But by God's design, we are not independent. We depend on him. Only God is self-sufficient. All of us have needs and struggles and we need each other. Let me read to you Romans 15. And as you turn there, I want to remind you that God has created us to be dependent When you think back to Adam and Eve in the garden, they were dependent upon God and they needed each other before they sinned. It's important for you to remember that. It's not as though Adam and Eve were dependent on God after sin came into the world. No, they were dependent upon God, his word, his grace, his sustaining them. And they needed each other. It's not good for man to be alone. They needed each other and they needed God. They were dependent even before there was sin. And so humans are dependent because that is our nature. God has designed us. He has made us to be dependent upon him and on one another. Romans 15 verses 1 through 13. We're going to see how we exist to live in community with God and with God's people. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the whole Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. This text describes our identity in Christ. So, in this series, we're talking about having a renewed identity. And we, we saw last week how our identity is not something external, it's not as though we define who we are by our job or by our house or by our appearance or by our success or by our kids, or by anything else, but we are defined by who we are in Jesus. That who are you? You are a child of God. You are forgiven, and you are anointed, and you are redeemed, and you have his spirit, and you are commissioned, and you have a purpose, and you have eternal value. You are treasured by your God in heaven. And these truths define who you are and we don't believe the lies of the enemy who says that you're worthless and you're washed up and you can't contribute and you're an addict and you're depressed and all of these lies from the enemy. We fight them with the truth of who God is and who we are in Christ. And so when you come to faith in Jesus, you receive a new identity. You were made new which is why Renewal Church's mission statement is that we exist to see people made new in Jesus and grow in Jesus and then released into the world for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So we're made new, we grow, and then we're released for his glory on mission to reach those that need his renewal. And this is who we are. This is our identity. And so today we're going a step further and we're seeing how our identity is wrapped up in being part of a community. That our identity, these amazing truths of who we are, are not meant to be lived out as individuals, but rather together. So the idea of this series is that we will learn how to reclaim who God has made us to be. And so you are defined by who you are in Jesus. And we're reading in this text that you belong to his people. So your identity is a family member. You belong to the family, to the household of God. This is who you are. And you have to remember this truth of who you are, you are a child of God. So when you are adopted, and so four years ago last week, last week was our gotcha day for our two little boys, Nathaniel and Benjamin. We adopted them four years ago from Ethiopia. And when we brought these two blessings home, they received a new name, they received a new birth certificate that now had their parents' name on it. Before that, The birth certificate, their last name was the orphanage's name. And so they were nameless and had no family and did not belong, and their identity was orphan. And four years ago, last Sunday, we got them. We brought them home. They received a new birth certificate with a new name, Levant. They belong. They have a family. They have a father and a mother and grandparents and uncles and cousins, but they also inherited a brother and a sister, Josh and Abby, two biological children of ours. And so when they received a father, when they received a family, by definition, they also received brothers and a sister. And so when you become part of the family of God, you inherit Something. Look around the room. Guess what you inherit? A family. You inherit brothers and sisters who share the same Father in heaven. This is your identity. This defines who you are. You are a family member. You belong to the community of God. And this is the theme that you see in verses 1 through 13, this whole text. You see it over and over, this theme of community, verses 1 and 2. It says those who are mature in your faith, it says to encourage those who are younger in their faith. And so it says here that we are called to relentlessly pursue, it says, the good of others and to build them up. You heard earlier, Evelina, when we're having our testimony, she mentioned that she feels edified. So the word edify means to build up. An edifice is a building. So to edify means to build up. And so every one of us is like an elevator. Some of you have a down button. <laughs> and there's only one button. There's just one, it's down. And so every time that you spend time with people, you pull everyone down. That's not how it should be. We should have one button. It just points up. So that every single time you're around a people, you pull them up. That's, what, that's how it's supposed to be. Now, granted, all of us have two buttons. It depends on which one we're going to use that day. But we should use the up button and pull people up, build them up like we just read. We're to build people up. And it says to seek to please others, not to please yourself. This is all communal terms. This is about living in a family. Verse 5, he says that God gives us endurance and encouragement to do something. And he says that he gives us endurance and encouragement, and then it doesn't say to please yourself. It doesn't say to pursue your own good or your own self-interest. No, no. Verse 5 says that God gives us encouragement and strength in order to live in harmony with one another. This is what he does. So not seeking self-interest or personal preferences, but the good of others. And then verse 6 continues. He says that, so here's the purpose, that you may with one voice glorify God. And it says, one voice together. Not as individuals, but our voice together. Which is why, if you've noticed, if you've been visiting here for the last few weeks, you've noticed that we've never had a special song, so to speak, like special music, so to speak. We've never had one person up here singing And everyone knows sitting, watching. Because we don't value that. We value with all of us together, one voice singing and worshiping God. And so the worship leader, so Katie's role is not to sing to entertain or to sing to the audience or a presentation or a performance. That's not what it is. She and the worship team are leading the people of God together with one voice to praise God. The whole idea is that we are led into God's presence together and we praise him together as a family. And so we don't want the music so loud that we can't hear you. We want to hear you sing. So lift up your voice. We need to see hands lifted, voices lifted. Lifted and raised together. This is why we gather. And then verse seven, he says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And so we want to be a welcoming church. Again, this is community, this is about receiving and welcoming new people into our faith family because God has welcomed us into his. In verses 8 through 12, it's all about community. It's how God is creating a people of all nations. And so it says Gentiles over and over. A Gentile is just a way that the, that the Jews thought and used the word Gentile to mean any non-Jew. So if you, were, if you were anything other than Jewish, you were a Gentile. So Gentile refers to all nations, all peoples, which is why you see over and over that he's creating people from all nations, for his glory, who extol him, who rejoice in him, who praise him. This is our purpose. It's accomplished. Our identity is lived out in community. We can't do it alone. This is not optional. Now, there are lots of churches in Bell County. Let's just be honest. There, at every corner, there, there's a church. Big, small, everything in between. Um, I mean, I'm biased. I like this one. Um, but objectively, there are lots of churches as long as the gospel is being proclaimed. I'll give you four keywords, which is kind of our strategy community, growth, influence, worship. If you have a church where you can have true community, talking about that today, and then a church where you can truly serve, so influence for the churches of the world, and a church where you can really grow, talking about that next week, and a church where you can worship, we'll talk about that in three weeks. If you have those, you have a healthy church. And so if it's not here, if God leads you elsewhere, make sure that you can be challenged to grow and have true, meaningful community and be unleashed on mission and have vibrant worship. But if one of those is missing, it's not healthy. You need all four. And this is, by the way, out of the Great Commission. You see all of those embedded in Jesus, who is the king, so we're to worship him. And he says, make disciples. So he says, go be released. And then he says, Teach him to obey, to grow. And then it says baptize, which symbolizes community. Like, this is embedded in the Great Commission itself. So this is not just ideas. This is out of the word. And so today we're talking about community and how you and I need a faith family where we can follow Jesus together. Our very identity is based on God's community. So our identity is based on founded on, rooted in God's community. Let me give you three truths from this text about our community. One, our community is centered on Jesus. And so our, our community is centered on Jesus himself. He creates our community. If you have bikers and they are wearing their leathers and their helmets and their big old boots and they go hang out and talk, yes, what they, they talk about. They're Harleys, right? That's what they talk about. That's what that's, Their community is kind of based around that. And if you have a, a room full of moms, guess what they're going to talk about? Their kids. If you have a bunch of middle school boys that are all gamers, guess what they're going to talk about? Games. If you have a bunch of cowboy fans, they get together and they talk about winning. No, actually, they don't talk about that. Um <laughs> I don't know what they talk about. I, I guess Cowboy fans can talk about 25 years ago, you know, and, and the glory days with Emmett and Aikman, right, um, and Moose Johnston back, back in the day because there's no winning anymore, not, not these days but there is something that binds us that creates this sense of community people who love food get get around foodies and they just want to talk about food like there are many different things that can bind us and create community musicians love to get together and just jam out and make music they love but as the people of God what binds us what creates a community is Jesus we have our community that is centered on Jesus himself and on his gospel. So we've been made new by Jesus, and then we have his spirit. We're commissioned to go out together. We all love the king, we all have a passion for his glory. So this is, this is what binds us, this is what keeps us together. It's not our personal preferences, it's not. It's Jesus, it's his gospel a passion for his kingdom, and to see it spread. Which is why verses 1 and 2, it says that that we are to please others and not just ourselves. And then verse 3 says why. The foundation for our community. Verse 3 says, For, so because, so based upon, so he says, don't please yourself, build others, seek the good of others, don't be self-centered. For, because... Christ did not please himself. Because Christ did not please himself. And it says that our reproach fell upon him. He paid the price for you and me. He endured our curses, our guilt, and our shame on the cross. And so it is Jesus, through his work on the cross, through his gospel, that creates our community. And here's why I say that. On the cross, Jesus bought you and me. We are a blood-bought people. And so we have been created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. And then verse 5, that's why it says to have harmony with one another. But it doesn't just say have harmony based upon your own personal preferences. It says have harmony. And then what does it say afterwards? In harmony. Accord with Christ Jesus. So it says, have harmony, have community, love each other, sacrifice for each other based upon Jesus in accordance to Jesus Christ. And then verse seven, he continues, and that's why he says, welcome other people, welcome them to a community. Because it's a nice thing to do, right? No, it's bigger than that. It's not moralism. It says welcome others because Jesus has welcomed you. It always goes back to Jesus and his gospel. It's never just about a moralistic end. We do good because Jesus has transformed us. Because of Jesus. So he says because he has welcomed you. And then verse 8, he says that Jesus became A servant. He served you and me on the cross. And then verse 12, this culmination of this, declaring that he's going to rule over the Gentiles, rule over all nations, be the king over his people, one unified people of different backgrounds and different walks of life and different languages and different cultures that have one thing in common, so many differences and yet, what they share in common is they treasure the king. And that binds them. And it creates a supernatural unity and harmony that the world just doesn't understand. Except when the church doesn't do that right. And then we look like the world, and the church says, Yep, that's just normal. But when the church is working properly, when we have this kind of Jesus-centered, Jesus-exalting community, and we, we treasure each other because we treasure him who made us, his glory is displayed. You know what we share, ultimately? Our experience of God. There is nothing deeper. There is nothing more profound. Which is, by the way, why we should never date or marry an unbeliever. Because they don't share your experience of God. You cannot truly share who you are because your identity is you in community with God and with his people. And so therefore, if you are trying to have something intimate with someone that's not a believer, then you can't be your true self. You have no business even pursuing that. And teach our kids. We need to teach our children these profound truths. Be you. Be who you are. But who you are is you are made by Jesus, for Jesus, and for his people. It's about community. And so we cannot pursue him alone. It's not possible. We have to give up our independence. If you want to be independent, you can't follow Jesus. Jesus. You cannot do it; it goes against who he is and his design. We're called to be interdependent; we need each other, but we all blow it. I did yesterday, just just yesterday. So we're moving in a couple of weeks. I need to buy some furniture, and Brian and I left the kids at home, and we went to a grocery. Not that's not true. We went to a furniture store and. Then we looked around and we we're doing market research on what things cost and that kind of thing. And then so we're driving home and then getting the vehicle and I just hear click, 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 <laughs> click. Like it's not working. And I was so frustrated. And so we walked almost two miles home in the June heat. And as I'm walking home with Bonnie and we laughed and we actually had a good time, but halfway walking home, I felt so convicted. The Spirit was just speaking to me and saying, look at you. Tomorrow morning, you're going to stand before God's people and proclaim the truth of how we're to be interdependent. And you didn't call anyone for help. You just walked home by yourself with your wife, and it never even occurred to you to ask anyone for help. Except when my wife said we should call someone, and then I said, no. (laughs) I was like, no, no, because I don't want to be needy. I don't want to come across as though I don't have my stuff together. And I didn't call anyone. And I have an amazing wife and life partner. She said, okay. Okay. And then she says, she, I'm not kidding you, Peru, you can ask me this. She says, I'm sure there's an illustration for your sermon in here somewhere. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I didn't, I just looked at her, actually. I, I thought a lot, but I didn't say. I've learned to not always speak, right, be slow to speak. Um, will you all blow it? We all, left to ourselves, want to be independent and self-sufficient and maintain the facade. And I have to repent before my faith family, before my God this morning, that I need this message as much as you do. I need the loving and correcting and encouraging body of Christ as much as you do. God designed us to need each other. And when we push back against that, and we don't commit to a church, and we don't commit to community, we're pushing back against our design, against our identity, our humanity, who we are. You know, when you walk in community with people, like for real, like, like you heard people this morning giving testimonies on getting in, they call called the nitty-gritty, getting real with each other, being in a home group and then in discipleship group where people actually know you and you're committed. You know what happens to you? You have your idols walked all over. Your, your idols that, that you treasure your desire to maintain this facade, um, it just gets trampled because there are other people around and they know you and they call you on your stuff. And we need it. We need it. We don't always want it. But this is how God works. And so if you find yourself pushing back against this message that's not mine, I just deliver the mail. I don't write it. Then you're pushing back against who you actually are. We need each other. And we need each other because this world can be harsh. Let's just be honest. It can be harsh, man. I mean, I just, I'll give you an example. Look at marketing. I look at 21st century marketing. And it's crazy. I'll go on Amazon, and I'll search for something, and then all of a sudden, all of these pop-up ads everywhere. It's like if I buy a Lego from my, for my nephew for his birthday, and then I have all these Lego advertisements all over, and it's just it's unbelievable how good marketers have become. And, and everything about modern-day marketing just feeds on our insecurities and our, on, on our shame if we're just really honest with each other. Because our world, our marketing says you're not good enough. You don't look good enough. You don't make enough money. You need more. You need to eat this food. You need to be more, win more. It's all about you're not enough. You are not enough with who you are. And so you need this product to fulfill you. No, no, no. You need this product, this procedure, this vacation. This car, this much in your 401k, you need this. You're not good enough how you are. You're not enough. You need more. And then we believe it and we think, well, I'm not doing enough. And then that quickly eventually becomes, I'm not enough. And we get so beaten up by this world. And we need brothers and sisters to remind us that we're not alone on the journey. You're not alone. And your struggles are not unique to you. We all have the same ones, I promise. So we need to lean in to God and to his community and live who we are. You're not alone in the struggle. God's provided each other, so we need this. We need to help each other change, and we need to be willing to let others help us change. You belong, your home. This can be your family. We can share life together, be part of God's community, living out our purpose. And so, our community is Christ centered. Number two, our community displays God's glory. And so it's centered on Jesus, and then what happens is that it begins to display his glory. It reflects the character of God. You see in verses five and six, it says, live in harmony so that you may glorify God with one voice together. So live in harmony, have community based on Jesus so that you can glorify God. Verses seven, the same thing. Welcome each other so that... You can glorify God. And then in verse 9, same thing. It says, In order that, so we have this community, In order that, for the purpose of, that the Gentiles, so all nations, might glorify God for his mercy. And so mercy is the means. Jesus gives us his mercy on the cross, and so then the result is we glorify God. The end is glorifying God. That is the goal. That is the, that is the purpose. And so everything about who we are as a people is meant to glorify God. And so we live out the image of God in community. And so your identity is community. It's wrapped up in, it's focused on, it's it's set on God's community. So when we attack each other, when we slander or when we gossip, or when we refuse to have community, what we're doing is we're actually destroying what we were designed for, which is God-shaped community. On the other hand, when we show compassion and forgiveness, and when we, when we receive forgiveness and we extend, so that goes both ways, when we accept people, we are then displaying the glory of God because the point of a church is to display the character of God. When people see Renewal Church, they should see what God is like. They should not see division and strife and self-centeredness. They should see mercy and love and forgiveness and harmony and unity because that's what God is like. And so we're designed in our community to display the glory, the character of God. And so we want to be a community of truth and a community of grace. Grace and truth. You need both to become who God wants you to be. You can't have just one or the other. Jesus came in truth and grace. And we want this to be a place with both, where you come every day with people, not just on Sundays. This goes far beyond Sunday. This is every day of the week. This is being in home groups. This is having friendships. I'm talking about sharing your life with people that can't happen on a Sunday. And when when we're real like this with each other, it displays his glory. We receive truth and encouragement, and yet people are gracious and patient with us. And we don't pose, and we don't put up this front I and you were called to just present ourselves as what we actually are redeemed sinners. That's what we are. And we, we don't fake it. We just come clean and say, I'm desperate for God's grace, just like you are. And we extend that grace. And when this happens, we're reflecting the glory of God. Now, maybe today you're thinking, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want to get that involved or that committed. Maybe you're pushing back. Well, let me ask you this. Why? Why don't you want community? Maybe you think, I've got my own problems. I already have a whole list of problems. I don't need anyone else's problems in my life then the problem with that thought process is you are seeing God's people as what you can get from them rather than seeing them as part of your identity. This is who you are. Maybe you think, I'm just too busy. I don't have time to go to a home group. I don't have time to come early for a setup on a Sunday morning. I don't have time to really have these kinds of relationships you're talking about. I'm just too busy. Why? Why are you too busy? I don't even believe you. You're lying to yourself. You're not too busy. Usually, when we say we're too busy, or when we keep ourselves too busy, that's usually just a front, it's just a smokescreen. Usually, especially in guys, I've noticed this. I'm sorry, but it's just a reality. From my observations for years doing this, is when a guy is too busy working, 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 working all the time, busy, 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 he's hiding. There's something inside. There's brokenness. There's pain. He doesn't want to face it because it hurts. And instead of actually stopping long enough to give the Spirit the space to begin to heal, which is a painful process, by the way. You don't stop. You just stay so busy, and you're hiding, and you're running. Will you stop? Will you slow down and allow the Spirit to heal you and breathe life back into you? where you don't have to work so hard to prove yourself. You don't, I don't know what it is you're trying to achieve, but you don't have to prove anything. God loves you as you are. We don't have to be that busy. We shouldn't be so busy that we don't have time to live out our identity, who we are which is we are part of the family of God. Maybe say, I'm afraid. I've been hurt before. Well, I have news for you. You're going to get hurt here too. Um, because guess who's in the room? People, we're going to let you down. Not on purpose, I promise. Like, we're not, we're not going to on purpose hurt you or disappoint you. But we are fallen. We're human. So it's going to happen, And so I, I can't promise you that you will never ever be disappointed or hurt because I'd be lying to you. But what I can tell you is you'll be loved and you'll belong and you'll be transformed. You'll live out your purpose and God's grace will be there when you're hurt. So we need to be courageous. We need to be strong and let the God of endurance and the God of all hope to give us this strength to lean in to other people into these relationships, which is why we have home groups meet every week. We take the text from the sermon and we go deeper and we apply it in our lives and we share our lives with each other. And if you're not in a home group, you really are missing out. This is how we share our lives at Renewal Church. We want you to taste what you heard a few people mention this morning. While we have church membership, in a few weeks, on June 30th, we're going to have a new start. That's a membership class. If you're not a member of this faith family, I encourage you to make plans to attend. You can go to the website, RenewalChurch.net, and you can sign up. because so the, There's a meal, and it's going to be a great time. So I encourage you to sign up for a new start and come learn about what it means to be a member, a committed part of this faith family. As we close, and I'm, I'm, I'm done, our community results in Hope. Let me read two verses 12 and 13 again And we just read a little while ago. The root of Jesse will come. This is Jesus. And it says, He who rises to rule the Gentiles to so all nations, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope, you hear that? The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Jesus-centered God-glorifying community, number three, results in hope. Community results in hope. This is what we're seeing in the Bible. We talk about hope sometimes as, like, wishful thinking. Like, oh, I hope it snows this Christmas. You can keep hoping, but we live in Belton. Like, that's just not likely. Or, like, I could say, I hope that I get a new sports car for my birthday next week. Wishful thinking. That's not based in reality or fact. When we talk about hope from the Bible, we're talking about it being based upon Jesus' death and resurrection. It is certain. It is not wishful thinking. It is with certainty. So it's, I know so. And so we have hope. Hope is just waiting with expectation. We don't have a dead hope. We have a living hope. His name is Jesus. And we look forward to his coming, and we await that with joy as you follow him together right now.